This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. through um, the things that I write is to get Americans to basically wake up, see what's going on around them, because our country, although we put out this idea that we're all with a freedom-loving nation and all this and that, what I'm finding is that, that fewer and fewer freedoms that I cherish are, are basically disappearing. And what I tell people, uh, your eyes are useless if your mind is blind. Open your eyes, see what's going on around you, wake up and study some of the trends. And that's why I'm encouraging you to go to our website at rutherford.org and read what we're doing. First of all, I'd like to say is, um, in 2014, 2014, Princeton University, along with the Northwestern University, did an intense study of 20 years of laws passed in Washington, D.C., our capital of America. The conclusion they came to was that the United States was uh, basically run by a moneyed elite, which they called an oligarchy. Uh, the people in Congress, the president, uh, the courts, basically, they said, do not really run the show. These are the academics at Princeton and Northwestern. Detailed study, by the way. I encourage you to read it. Uh, but again, their conclusion was that we live in a society that's basically run by a lot of wealthy people. And what I found in my lawsuits, and uh, I've, I've, you know, for 40 years I've been defending people in the courts and filed a number of lawsuits before the U.S. Supreme Court, is that basically what they say in the Princeton study is true, that we are ruled in this country by uh, people who are very, very strong. What I call it is the military uh, corporate complex. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, one of our former presidents, before he left office in 1961, gave a speech going off, and he says, beware, there's a military-industrial complex that's taken over the country, and it's ruling for profit. He was warning us early on, this is the President of the United States, and he says it will destroy freedom, and it will break up the country. As you will see, America has the largest military empire now. We have bases all over the world. The debt in this country is the worst we've ever seen. And many, many economic, economic advisors are now saying they fear that there's going to be a, a Tremendous economic decline. If you live in America, as we see, we're seeing the malls here, a number of the large chains. If you've heard of a business like Sears, Toys R Us, all the big chains, have started either going bankrupt or moving out of business. Uh, there's a fear that something's going to happen. And this is a, uh, I actually did an article on this on our website, and plus I did a podcast where I actually talked visually to people. Uh, the Pentagon put out a video recently, about a year ago, where they argue that by 2030, which would be 12 years away, they believe that uh, there's a high possibility that martial law will have to be inflicted in the United States because of economic decline and disarray. Uh, the, the video is only about a little over five minutes. It was directed by a Hollywood director who remains anonymous. How many people have seen Steven Spielberg movies? It looks very much like a Steven Spielberg movie. I'd go watch it. It's a little scary, but it also predicts a worldwide decline worldwide decline, that we're going into a kind of a dystopian future that does not look good. And that could very well be true, folks. 
Uh, and what I'm trying to do is tell people that there's a lot of things going on. Your average American watches 150 hours of television a month. Unfortunately, what you get on television is not, is not the full panoply of what you need to know. Now, Americans have, don't, don't read a lot of books anymore. They watch TV almost all the time. They sit kind of like zombies watching TV. Uh, and what they, studies have shown that it, by a lot of TV watching, by the way, the prefrontal cortex here, the thinking part of your brain actually starts to sh shut down and you don't think anymore. And uh, I'm seeing it in this country. Our people aren't thinking anymore. I would say right now, as I see, you know, I'm not talking you know, anything about the, the president we have now, but I've seen this happening all along, and it's kind of accelerated under the current administration is people today, if you're following one America, they're fighting in the streets. I mean, how many people have seen that on videos and stuff? People are punching each other. When speakers show up to speak at colleges, people are fighting out in front of the buildings. I mean, that didn't used to happen. I mean, people, if they didn't like a speaker, they would get signs in the past and protests and that kind of stuff. But today, we're seeing more and more people are just punching it out, the left wing, the right wing, and all this and that. And that kind of illustrates my point. We're not thinking. If you're thinking, you don't go up and punch somebody in the face because you don't agree with them. You go up and debate them. You get their viewpoint. As I always say, first impressions can be erroneous. In other words, what you believe to be true could be false. That person standing across in front of you could have something that could benefit you. Listen. Or they couldn't benefit you. Listen, debate, walk away. But today we're seeing people fight in the streets over anything. And uh, that, to me, uh, there's an old phrase that uh, I'm sure you may have heard of this. is Certain rulers rule very well if they can divide the people they, they can conquer. It's called divide and conquer. If you get people distracted to all this and that, the huge government we got with billions upon billions and trillions of dollars, who's watching? If someone's out in the street fighting somebody because they don't, they like Donald Trump or they don't like Donald Trump or whatever they're fighting over. So I'm seeing more and more of that and that bothers me. What I have seen, and I have a five hour lecture here, but I'm only gonna do it in about 30 to 35 minutes. And if you have questions, I'd like to hear some. Uh, what, what is really clear, and this is all documented here, is that we live in a total surveillance state now. Everything you're doing is basically watched in America. Now, other countries are like that. China, in fact, is leading the world. I think China, in my, my opinion, is emerging as the preeminent country uh, in a number of ways, technologically or otherwise. And it's being uh, aided and abetted by uh, corporations like Google, Amazon, who work really closely with the Chinese government, developing different products and ways to the social credit stores. How many people have heard of the social credit stores? Good. In other words, you're being, depending on how you deal in society, or are you a nice guy, a good guy, a bad girl, okay? they're actually giving you a social credit store. But most people don't realize that our government's doing that well. Uh, Amazon's doing that. They're doing basically a social credit rating now. Plus, the Department of Homeland Security, which is one of the most powerful agencies in this country, uh, has a threat assessment they do on every American home. It goes from green to red. If you've had a parking ticket, if you've got, had a fight with a policeman or a government agent or whatever, your threat assessment goes up. Unfortunately, some people are getting hurt because the local policemen have those threat assessments on their phones and their digital reading. When they come to people's doors now, 
Sometimes they seem very agitated, and people don't know why. People are getting actually shot. They're coming to the door. Old man, 70-year-old, is coming to the door. Here's a police knocking on the night, comes to the door with an umbrella. Policemen think it's a gun and shoot him through the window and kill him. So there's a, there's a lot of things going in America we don't hear. Did you know or have you heard of the SWAT team raids in America? Back in the 1980s, there were approximately 3,000 SWAT team raids in America. These are militarized, armed police. They look like the guys over in Afghanistan. They're crashing through the doors in the middle of the night. Now there's 80,000 annually occurring in this country. Just shot up. I mean, 80% of those, and if you read the Fourth Amendment, by the way, uh, which requires a warrant if people are committing a crime or whatever, and you go to the door and you present the warrant and say, you need to come to us the police station. 80% of the SWAT team range are from your warrant service, and most of the time the police don't serve the warrant. They crash the doors in the middle of the night. Uh, there's some scary cases. There was a former military uh, hero in this country, in Arizona. The police were doing a sweep. This will give you an example of what happened. They were doing a sweep of his neighborhood trying to find people who were either smoking or selling marijuana, that dangerous drug. And uh, they entered Jose Guerrero's home. To the middle of the night, he had two children and a wife. They crashed the door down. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning. That's what they do in the middle of the night, so you're not prepared for this. He was prepared. He had a hunting rifle. He took his two kids, shoved them in the closet, his wife. He thought it was robbers, burglars in the middle of the night. He backs up in the hallway with his gun, waiting for the thugs to come in. It was the police dressed in their armor. They see him at the end of the hallway. They shot 70 times, shot him dead. He, he was laying on the floor still breathing. His wife came out of the closet screaming for the medics. They wouldn't let the medics come in and take care of him. He died on the floor bleeding. Believe it or not, no marijuana, no drugs fell in his home. They were in the wrong home. We're seeing that happen in America. I give you many more stories or detailed in my books. They're scary. We're seeing these things happen in America. But part of this goes back to a real problem we're facing. And that is the surveillance they're doing on all the surveillance they're doing on Americans as if we were all crooks, criminals. By the way, the Pew Research Center study with a number of other organizations just came out showing that crime in this country has dipped so low. Americans are not crime-prone people. So low since the 1990s, there's no threats anymore. People leave the doors unlocked. Well, in this town, I don't know, a lot of people just leave the doors unlocked. They're not afraid of people. But you have the police crashing through people's doors in the middle of the night. Why are you seeing this happen? Well, we have a government that's a bit paranoid about people. And we're seeing all this surveillance. I mean, two billion emails a day than the International Security Agency downloads in this country. Our emails are watching us, okay? Uh, about 500 million text messages daily they're watching, the National Security Agency and the CIA. A few more. About 200,000 Facebook pages daily they're watching and studying to see what you're thinking, what we're doing. You call that? I mean, we haven't done anything wrong. Uh, the NSA, believe it or not, the National Security Agency, which is the big spy agency, collected 534 million records of Americans' phone calls, the entire everything you're saying on your phone in 2014, and that tripled in 2016 to 151 million phone calls annually. So if you're on your phone listening and talking, there's a chance that if you're 
the lady who invited me here, you're suspicious. <laughs> Listen to what you're saying, and me too. They won't know what we're talking about. <laughs> now, I don't think that's any of their business, and you know, that's why I gave you those Bill of Rights. Our founders gave us that Fourth Amendment saying, hey, we're so supposed to be secure in our homes and our lives. The government shouldn't be watching us unless they have, if you read the Fourth Amendment, probable cause. What's that? Some evidence of criminality. But today, they're not looking just for criminals, they're looking for everybody, trying to find something, you know, that suspect. And you may get that SWAT team raid in the middle of the night, and we're seeing it happen more and more. And the NSA, by the way, is a worldwide agency. It has uh, huge bases in five countries, and I'll list them for you, but where you live is, is encompassed too. The United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, plus the United States. And now we find out, just recently, the NSA is working with 17 countries worldwide on global issues and how to you know, watch people and make sure that we're all really nice people. Uh, the AT&T, which runs most of the phone communications in this country, in eight major cities, it was just recently uh, discovered that in the towers in New York City, which just look like business centers, it's the AT&T working with the NSA, and they're, they're watching everything you're doing in the major city, where you're driving. By the way, your cell phones, wherever you go, you're tracked. What you buy, and what you, when you're going in stores, where you park, what you say. And by having the thing, facial recognition, which is preeminent in this country now, they, they can track wherever you go. Uh, as I said, Google and Facebook, by the way, Amazon works closely with the NSA. Uh, Google, I mean, excuse me, Amazon, by the way, just got a new 10 billion contract to work with the Pentagon on reestablishing their intelligence cloud for all 17 intelligence agencies. So if you, this country is basically run by Amazon now. We get the Amazon packages. Amazon's given over all that information. So there is no doubt, that's why I call it the military corporate state. They work very closely together, unfortunately. The post office in this country, by the way, records uh, probably, uh, my information is a little old here on my notes, but at least 160 billion pieces of mail annually. The post office is x-raying, studying what people are sending in the mail. Well, you think you can sneak something through the mail. You can't. <laughs> They're going to be reading that, too. So everything is being watched. Uh, and it does lead to some problems. At the Rutherford Institute, we get people who call us, we give them legal help when they get arrested or something like that. Several years ago, this will show you how the surveillance state works. A young Marine, he was 26 years old, had just got through jogging. He lived about in Richmond, Virginia, about what's about an hour away from here. Young Marine, he uh, was a decorated Marine, by the way. What he did in uh, Afghanistan was mines, you know, the bombs underground. He defused those, took them out of the ground to save American troops. He actually captured weapons from uh, the, the, the so-called enemy there as well. But anyway, so he was at home one morning typing. He didn't have his shirt on. He just got through jogging. I think it was in August, and uh, it was still warm. And he hears noise outside of his home. And he looks out the window and police cars are pulling up, people in black outfits, which were our federal government agencies with their ties are running for, and they were from the FBI and some secret service groups who wouldn't identify themselves. He comes to the front door. Remember, this is a Marine. He's, he's just two. Uh, what was amazing was, too, he didn't own a rifle or any kind of weapon. 
The most dangerous thing he had in his home was a paring knife to cut his fruit. So they knew, that they know this too, by the way, again, let me illustrate my point here in a few seconds. They knew he didn't have a gun, so that why, why would you do this? But anyway, they rushed in front of his home. They asked him to step outside. He asked, what's wrong? Why are you here? And they said, well, we've been studying your Facebook posts oh. and your emails. And they went down the list. And, we were, and what, what was he was doing at the time? This was when President Obama was in power. He didn't like President Obama's executive orders and a few other things Obama was doing. He was playing some silly games on the uh, anti-government games, etc. He was very critical of the government. Now, if you read our First Amendment, by the way, you have a right to speak your mind. If you don't like the government of this country, you have a right to say, I don't like you. I don't like you, Mr. Obama. I don't like you, Mr. Trump. I don't like you, well, I don't like you, Mr. Policeman. That's our rights. Well, he was doing that. Well, they asked him to step out on the porch. He did. They immediately handcuffed him behind his back, led him out to a police car. He was arguing. They slammed him against the fence, cut his back down the middle. When he got to the local police station, he asked for bandages. They put a prison shirt on him, which he said stuck in the cut so bad it hurt. They put him in a prison cell. There. He had a five-minute examination with a psychiatrist who said that he had mental issues, needed, uh, <laughs> needed to be, be put away, basically, <clears throat> because besides his anti-government views, he, he believed, and this is a lot of Americans in this country, believes that 9-11 in this country was orchestrated by the government. It's called a 9-11 truth. There's millions of people who believe that in America. Well, you know, that's your right. You can believe whatever you want to believe. Uh, he also had a hearing, which was very, very short, and they placed him in a psychiatric hospital. His mom called many organizations. No one wanted to test the case. These are called civil commitments, by the way. Civil commitments in the United States. So he was placed in this uh, psychiatric ward. We filed a lawsuit, and we got him out in a week. The judge ruled he shouldn't have been there in the first place. What, what I found out about, though, was that uh, this happens to many Americans now. 20,000 alone in the state of Virginia each year annually go into mental hospitals, and they disappear. 1.5 million annually in the United States go into mental hospitals, believe it or not. And they disappear because no lawyer will. Lawyers are afraid to touch these cases. So Mr. Robb was very, very fortunate that we happened to come along. If you studied history, the old Soviet Union would arrest poets, painters as anti-government, and put them in psychiatric wards, and they lived there. There's a number of good books out here on that issue. Uh, I actually had a former NSA agent who came to meet with me. He had read my books and said, John. We're following the Soviet model. I didn't know exactly what he meant at the time. But after this case, I, I looked at it more and I said, maybe we are moving in that direction, unfortunately. If you disagree with the government in a certain way, you might be considered mentally ill, unfortunately. A little more information before I open up for questions. As I said, the Department of Homeland Security, which was erected after the 9-11, uh, event happened, uh, basically runs uh, the government in terms of so-called security, guns, police forces. Uh, they're the ones doing the threat assessments I talked about that they do on American homes. Uh, again, they're working with Amazon right now, establishing social credit scores and facial recognition. 
they hand out stingray devices to local police. Maybe you don't know what stingray devices are, but they fit in police cars. They're small black boxes. Uh, a policeman can pull in front of your home and download everything on your cell phone and your laptop. They're, they act as fake cell phone towers, diverting the information there, and they drive off. And it was discovered about a year and a half ago that the FBI, out of the seven major airports in this country, the small Cessna airplanes, the private airplanes flying over a lot of times, have dirt boxes in them. They're actually uh, paid by the FBI to fly over your community and collect your information. Again, spying on people, surveillance. It's just the way things work now. Uh, the government has, uh, many police cars have license plate readers. I don't know if, if these are happening in your, in your country, I'd like to talk about when you raise questions. But, uh, police cars have license plate readers now. They can collect up to 3,600 images per hour. They go down the road and they can track where you're driving, where you stop. People at protests, by the way, protest events and stuff, they'll drive and go through the parking lot and get everybody to find out just who's at the protest so they can study that. And the department, the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency admits that their facial and their uh, uh, license plate readers have facial recognition software, so they'll see you through. The screen, they'll know who you are immediately. And they're starting to install uh, facial recognition devices all over this country on bike <coughs> poles. They're in many of the stores you go to, here even in Charlottesville now. So what I'm saying is, what, what is being erected again is a total surveillance state that very much like the movie Matrix. Have, have you seen the movie Matrix? If you haven't, go see it. Because I even have people who used to say, John, you're a little far out there saying these things are not agreeing with me. They're writing about the matrix and what we're seeing. They even have, uh, believe it or not, they've developed <laughs> police dogs now. They have a vest they put on police dogs and they have facial recognition cameras and stuff. So they'll send the dogs first at you to the police, check you out, and uh, you may want to pet that dog and give it a hug, but that dog is basically uh, an animated camera watching what you're doing. Uh, we're just, again, the things I'm seeing in this country do raise uh, a, lot, a lot of questions that we should be looking at. And we have a long history, by the way. If you go back, and I detail it in my books, uh, the FBI, starting in the 1950s, became a big spy agency on Americans. Martin Luther King, the great activist, who was my hero, by the way. Uh, the FBI. Federal Bureau of Investigation collected 17,000 pages of information on Martin Luther King to try to put him out of business, and uh, which is amazing. You, it, how many people have heard of the Beatle, John Lennon? Good, you heard of the Beatle, John Lennon? That's good. Uh, <laughs> the FBI tracked him everywhere. They had a huge file of John Lennon and the Beatle because he uh, was anti-war. He was fight, you know, fighting the government over the war issues. Uh, So, we're seeing a lot of developments that are kind of scary. And one area that I see that I don't like is in America, in the public schools here, our state-run schools. They erect, they're erecting a lot of policies that are kind of scary in cases that we get into. Um, they're, just to give you a few ideas, zero tolerance policies. They're, they call them zero tolerances. There's zero tolerance for violence, zero tolerance for guns, zero tolerance for this, you go down the list. Zero tolerance for sugar or whatever. Uh, but, just to show you an interesting case that we had a couple years ago, a, little, a boy uh, in Ohio named Johnny Jones, he was 10 years old, went to the teacher's desk, 
to get a piece of paper. As he turned to walk back, his best friend in class went silently. Johnny Jones did a bow and arrow went. The teacher saw it, immediately grabbed the young boy, took him out of the hallway, and he was charged with a weapons violation. What? Wait a second. An imaginary bow and arrow is a weapon? Might be. Depends on what your imagination is. Uh, we got in the case, uh, basically because the media came down and said, this is nuts. This is crazy. The school backed off, and we were demanding they take it off this record. We had another case, give us an idea. He was a fourth grader in Texas. His uncle was in Afghanistan, a military guy. He drew a stick figure of his uncle at lunchtime, carrying a stick figure gun. He was pulled out when the teacher saw it, and he was also charged with a weapon. We helped him. The problem, Steve, with these things is, if they go on your record as a weapons violation, They'll track you the rest of your life. If you want to be a federal judge in this country, or maybe go to a certain school, they check your background. You got a weapons violation? How do you explain that? Oh, I was on I was on fourth grade, I mean, you know, mom carried a gun. It was an imaginary gun, but it's a weapons violation. We gotta be really be careful with people like you. So we're seeing more and more of those. Um, the other thing I'm seeing in the schools too is like the Bill of Rights I gave you. Uh, the kids in schools today, they don't teach civics. They used to teach civics. They used to teach the Bill of Rights so that you knew your, your rights. But kids I talk to, they, they, I, I have law students, by the way. I talk to you all the time. One of the few questions I ask them, some of the, the going to our summer intern program, the first question I ask, can you give me the five freedoms of the First Amendment you have in there in your brochure? I have yet to find one student that can do it in 20 years. <laughs> law students, they're going to be lawyers. They don't know what's in the First Amendment. So the question is raised here is, if you don't know what's in the First Amendment, your rights, how do you defend your rights? How do you object? If you don't know what's in the Fourth Amendment, I mean, we have uh, Donald Trump now, our president, is arguing and promoting the idea that we need uh, stop and frisk in this country, at least in the major cities, where people are walking along the street, you pull them over, you search them, the problem with that, in some cities, they're actually, they've actually done anal probes on the street of people. There have been lawsuits filed over that. We're arguing for that in America. Again, go back. The Fourth Amendment says there, and that's why I gave it to you, probable cause. Before you can touch an American citizen, you should have some evidence of illegality. Pulling people over, women. And what's, what's really sad is the bystander effect that we're seeing in this country. Americans stand and watch this. They don't object. They're seeing it. Which is, a, which is a mind blowing effect. I've gotten in trouble a few times in airports and stuff where I've seen TSA just gather around. So I walk up and they're not very friendly. I'll, I'll see them walking around, some guy. And it was an African American not too long ago. I think it was at an Atlanta airport and they were surrounding me. I walked up and said, What is this? I'm a lawyer. And they got to beat it. I said, Hey, I'm a lawyer. What, what is this? <laughs> what are you doing to this guy? But there's a, we, we're losing the dignity of the American citizen. Dignity is found in rights, it's found in privacy, and that's what you know, our Constitution demands. Should the government be watching everything we're doing? Should the government be stopping us on the street and frisking us and touching our genitals? Uh, should the government, in the middle of the night, be busting through the doors 
80,000 SWAT teams are kill it. They kill up to 5,000 5, dogs a day. That's some people say. In this they shoot the dogs first. You're talking about poodles. I mean, how many people like poodles? Chihuahuas. They shoot the dogs first, which is crazy. Um, I had a local policeman call me not about a year ago, and he was he was really concerned. He said, John, I think I'm going to stop the SWAT team raids in my hometown. I said, why? What happened? He said, well, we did a SWAT, my, one of my SWAT teams did a, a raid on a home, and one of my policemen actually put a uh, AK-47 on that rifle to a four-year-old kid's head. And I went, wow. The problem is, and the studies show this, once you put on all that military gear, local police in this country, they act like the military. They think they're an avenue. It changes their psychology. The black outfits. No. In early America, when I was growing up as a kid, the policemen wore brown uniforms. A lot of them didn't even carry weapons. Fast forward 40 to 50 years, they're in black outfits. How many people have been to New, York, New York's Times Square? You, if you're there at the right time of the year, you might want to run. I love New York. But the policemen stand on the street corner with AK-47. So, it's a different mentality, you know. Um, George Washington, our first president, said, don't have a standing army. We face that. Do not do it. It's great peril. And today we do have that standing army in America. Unfortunately, we have militarized police who are have, have tanks, all the things that uh, the military had. And unfortunately, what we're facing in this country, and I'll go back to that 2030 video that you should watch, it's only five minutes long, where the Pentagon is predicting that the country could collapse in 2030 and will have to establish martial law. We have a scenario that may play out like that in this country. I'm not saying it is, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when you have the U.S. government predicting that, you have to take it seriously, and you have to wonder what's driving that. Um, and to be honest with you, I've been in this area, like I say, for 40 years, and I've not seen this amount of disarray in this country. I've not been this concerned about the future of my country. And I would say this, that if we believe in freedom in this country, I'm trying to get Americans to act on the local level in their communities and stuff and try to push some of this back. But it's very hard to do that because Americans are very, very distracted these days. Uh, we're not looking in the right places. And unfortunately, I feel that our country's uh, on the brink of something that's not good. I may be wrong, but I'm not the only one saying this. I mean, I can line up some of the biggest scholars from Noam Chomsky down the line to left and right that are talking about these things and their concern. People that I work with, I know, they're afraid. Uh, as we've expended all this money on the military around the world, uh, the country's suffering, our infrastructure in this country, roads, bridges that need to be fixed, uh, is sinking. In fact, as uh, some uh, historians are now arguing, we, we, we are seemingly mirroring uh, the, Roman, the old Roman Empire, which, by the way, collapsed uh, into disarray. Uh, if things do that, then we're in, uh, my opinion, uh, a tough time. The other thing I want to highlight, this will be the last subject I'll talk to and I'll answer your questions, is artificial intelligence is moving very, very rapidly. When you're on the internet, whatever, a lot of times you're dealing with AI. 
I don't know if you saw this, but China just introduced their first AI newscaster. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. It's amazing. You can't tell the difference between the robot and a human being. The lips move and amazing. Yeah, it's uh, that's going to become more prominent. And you're going to be wondering what you're when you're watching something on TV or somewhere. You're going to be wondering what am I looking at? Because. Uh, it used to be that when you heard the, uh, some of these voices, either on uh, the, the things you're getting on the internet or whatever, you can tell it's robotic. But I don't know, you, you saw it. That's good. What did you think, tell It was just amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was just one minute clip. Uh, you cannot tell the difference between that. You, if you set two people down, one person by that, that robot, you cannot tell the difference. I mean, the hairdo, everything. It, 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 it's really well done. Yeah. They said they inspired from the human appearance, right? Oh, yes. It was like a good looking man. It's a good looking man. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, what I'm, AI is going to drive things. The problem with AI, artificial intelligence, is it's, it, there will be no empathy. And that's the biggest thing that I see that humans are losing today. What is empathy? It's the care for other human beings. Uh, I'm seeing less and less people who want to help what I would call the little people. That's what we do at the Rough Institute. I help people who can't get a lawyer. Uh, making sure that our fellow human beings are taken care of. Uh, we, we, uh, even our political leaders talk so callously today about that. Uh, there, are there are cities in this country, Los Angeles being one, they're just being overtaken by homeless people. People don't have jobs. And the way people talk about homeless people makes me sick, human beings. Homeless people are people too. We should do all we can to help them. And if there's any message I can leave with you, it is be human, don't be artificial intelligence, care for others, learn your rights, practice them in your own country. And if you move into the United States, practice it in the United States. And let me tell you something, if you practice your freedoms, watch out. Government's watching you, and uh, the ending may not always be pleasant. Are there any questions? Comments? Yes, sir. Uh, I'll stop talking against you as well. Maybe I'll be uh, playing with fire by asking this question. But, um, is there any program like prison uh, in, uh, from US government on Moldova? And in your eyes, is Edward Snowden a hero or a traitor? Well, if, again, I go back to the empathy thing, empathy principle. If you see the United States government violating the Constitution, which they do with all their stuff, if you see the government doing something that borders on evil, and I'm saying this, if a government, if the government's looking at you, their agents, and they're saying, oh, we're going to study him and see if there's some way we can get him, and it's been proven they've done it over the years. I talked about the FBI chasing Martin Luther Should you speak up or should you be quiet? I think Edward Snowden is a hero. Yes. I think, and, and he placed himself in peril. He's in Russia. By the way, he didn't want to be there. <laughs> he's in Russia. He had to run out of the country to hide. Julian Assange, he's a hero. I would defend those people to the end of my life because they're taking a moral stand, and, and they're taking a moral stand on their people's rights, and they're saying, hey, the government's doing this, I'm telling you, we got to fix it. More Americans need to listen. And prison, prison, program about prison, 
Do you think the U.S. government has a program like prison plus and more? Oh, like I said, as I said, the NSA has their Five Eyes program. They tell they work. They work with 17 other countries now. That was just released. Uh, Guardian, by the way, did a good article on that. Um, they're working all over the world. I mean, like I said, they're a bit. I, I call it paranoia because if I'm, if I have a neighbor, my a neighbor in my neighborhood, and I'm always watching them, going, "What are they doing wrong?" I'm paranoid. If the government's watching me, John Whitehead goes home at night, reads books. Doesn't watch TV, but does crossword puzzles, relaxes. And I thought I speak out against the government. They should watch me. Again, that's what the Bill of Rights is all about, protect us from. But the problem with the written constitution, by the way, is the way technology is moving, it's just gone by that. And then if the Americans don't have any knowledge of it, oh, I have people all the time say, if I'm not doing anything wrong, why should I care? Because it violates the law. Edward Snowden, he spoke up. John, can you repeat each question after it's asked? Yes. Yes, sir. Um, my question is, uh, you mentioned the Americans are destructive. And it's the uh, same thing we wanted to. And our government is uh, not as powerful as the American government, but it's really corrupt. Uh, and also, watch <laughs> and uh, elites are uh, doing everything for them uh, too. So, wouldn't it be uh, the only solution is to change whole system that the government uh, that we form through the election can't do that? Or okay. The system? question is, can we change the government? Yeah. Well, change the democracy. I can only speak, and the pressure is can we change the government? I can only speak to what I see in my country. If the, as I began my lecture, if the uh, Princeton Northwestern University study is correct, we're ruled by people we don't know who's ruling us. It's a money elite, they call it an oligarchy. And I don't know if you know, but it was a year, year and a half ago, there was a memo that someone leaked from the FBI saying that there was a seventh floor group that basically ran everything in America. They called it the deep state, which everybody talks about now. So if we're being ruled by people we don't know who's ruling us, it's difficult to change that so-called government. And what I've been arguing is, is that the best thing we can do in, a, in, in any government, and this is going to take a group of people who are strong, is on the local level, take over your local governments and have your local government poised against the central government saying, no, we're not going to allow you to do this to our people. You know, our 10th Amendment allows uh, local governments to nullify acts of the United States government. Some, some communities have done that. They can just say we're not going to follow that. In fact, I think it was Wisconsin. We actually have a law that uh, was passed, that then passed and passed under numerous presidents since George W. Bush called the National Defense Authorization Act. It allows the president to label someone an extremist and send the military to get them and put them in a detention camp where they won't see a lawyer or their family. Some states have come out, communities say, we nullify that. We will not allow our police or anybody to work with the government. We will not allow the military and our communities to do that. That can start. But the problem with this, it's like the Titanic. If you got, we're so close to the iceberg now, in my opinion. Can we avoid the iceberg? 
I, I always have hope that we can, but my hope is in the average citizen doing something about it. But the average citizen needs to learn their rights and stand up for them. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, so uh, listening to like all the surveillance and tracking and artificial intelligence and stuff like that, uh, I can't help but think about you know George Orwell's 1984. So. Uh, do you think uh, maybe in future something like that could happen in a democracy like the states, or maybe you know all the technological advancements could lead to a future like that? What do you think? So the question I think boiled down would be uh, George Orwell's 1984. Could we face a future like that? Mm -hmm. I would say we already are. There was a wow. great theoretical. <laughs> uh, I would call it a media analyst named Marshall McLuhan back in the 60s. Yeah. And he's brilliant, by the way. You should read his books. People have forgotten him. But what he said was, by the time people see what's happening, the environment's already formed around them. Uh, again, I've read, I've read, I've read all of uh, George Orwell's biographies. His name was Eric, actually Eric Blair. He used Orwell as a pseudonym. Uh, he said, if you want a picture of the future, imagine a, a boot stamping on a human face forever. Do I think that's happening? Well, I look at the SWAT team raids. I look at uh, our military around the globe. The, the drones that are going, uh, American drones that are flying over funerals and killing kids and women. And I'm going, are we there? Yeah, possibly we are. So, things that Orwell talked about. I think Orwell today has already rolled over in his grave a thousand times. He tried to give, I mean, if you read the man, he tried to say, hey, Aldous Huxley said the same thing. In fact, let me read you a quote, Aldous Huxley, A Brave New World, good book. He said, liberty cannot flourish in a country that is permanently on a war footing or even a near war footing. Permanent crisis justifies permanent control of everybody and everything by agencies of the central government. America is a military corporate empire. We're already doing the continuous permanent war. Unfortunately. So if we're, yeah. go ahead, finish. If we're still there, is there any way out? Like, do you think it's possible? I, like I just said, I think there's a way out. If people, it's, uh, you know, if, again, your eyes are useless. Like I said, if your mind is blind, we have to wake up to it. Mm -hmm. We have to wake up and see what's around us. But if we're distracted, by politics, which is a distraction, by the way, uh, television, all the things that are distracting us. Listen, I, I go, we go into restaurants, my wife and I, and we see families. They don't talk anymore. They're looking at this thing, uh, the cell phone. You don't get anywhere doing that. We need human communication. Do we want to be machines? Well, as we said, you know, they're starting to, news anchors that look like people are going to be on the air. And again, they're doing it. They're moving fast. They don't ask us. Do they say, hey, do you think this is a good idea? You know, they don't, they're not asking us for an opinion. Does your government ask you? Does my government ask me before they do these things? All I get, all I get is the tax bill after they've done it. So they're, they're, they're not accountable to us, unfortunately. And what does kind of citizens do for that? For example, like, so only government has the right to demand the information from us, right? I don't have the right to like ask their information, but still, so what can citizens do um, to do with that? That's like I say, the, the only, 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 wake up. The only well, what can citizens do uh, is a question. 
and I, I've said it here, I think the only thing that we can do right now is get active in our local governments and get our governments, our local governments, our towns and city counties, that look like, and that's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of our government bodies, local bodies, get federal funding, and they're not going to do that. Am I saying it's hopeless? No. I'm just saying the hill looks, the hill uphill is very, very steep. But how does it start? One person. A revolution starts with one person. And to be honest with you, we do need a revolution in this in this country. We need a revolution in a lot of governments around the world. I mean. In China, they're putting people in detention camps now because of their religious beliefs. Yeah, that's what I've, throughout the history, there is a political system, a civil society system that goes up and goes down around and fires and everything. Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, yeah. Yeah, everything has a time. Maybe uh, that's what I was you know, thinking. Maybe Bill of Rights of Democracy is dying now. Maybe we are waiting for the next generation. What do you think? I mean, Maybe next generation after democracy or something ahead of us, and yeah. we are slowly going into there with the uh, with the, all the technologies and everything. So the question is, um, you know, are we declining? Is our system yeah. going to collapse? Are we headed into another system? My own personal opinion is that it looks like that. Yes, and it's not just my opinion. There are a number of really good historians out there writing that are saying the same thing. They write on history. They're saying. We seem to be mirroring the Roman Empire, which extended itself so far yeah. that it couldn't maintain itself. Its roads deteriorated. We're seeing that in America. Uh, our systems, yes. But I'll go back to that 2030 video produced by the Pentagon. They're predicting that by 2030 is all going to happen. And it's not a casual. When you finish that video, you go, whoa, that's our government saying that? They're saying the same thing, the question you just asked. Once you introduce martial law in America, the Constitution is gone. Freedom's gone. All, you got, all you've got in front of you is a gun. Somebody else's gun with us out there. And we don't have the same guns. We don't have the SWAT team. We don't have the tanks. We don't have the surveillance bed. The next amendment to the Constitution <laughs> might have a solution for that. <laughs> if you could get uh, the people in our Congress, but I mean, as Meg and anybody can tell you, the, the Congress we have today is not, uh, every study shows they're not representing us like we think they represent us. They represent money. Uh, many congressmen, several days a week, our congressmen in this country, they go to phone banks to raise money several times a week. And I'm paying taxes for that so they can get money from wealthy dudes. Again, it goes back to that Princeton study. America's ruled by money elite. And I assume in your country you, you have the same issues. Yeah. Yeah. People follow money. Yes. Can I ask a follow up question? Uh, talking about the uh, rich dudes, uh, for me it seems like uh, founding fathers are also rich dudes. <laughs> founding fathers. Oh, oh yeah, they were. Yep. But how come they uh, left democracy to you guys and then uh, was it just the chance uh, luck or can now elites can come up with some Good question. To... The founding fathers are rich dudes, that's true. How, how did they do it? Because there were some uh, smaller people in the country they thought were going to rebel against it. People like Patrick Henry, Samuel Allen, that are a number down the list. Who, the guy named Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. And he was talking about, he was fighting against the Constitution that was passed, our original Constitution. He didn't like it. 
we did, they demanded a bill of rights. That's how we got it. People, and that's what I'm saying here. The, con the, the people out there in the small communities just said, we ain't taking this thing. We want a bill of rights. And they pushed it through and we got the first 10 amendments. And so the founding fathers did not want that bill of rights tackling the Constitution. How come we never heard of him? What was he? He's Patrick just Henry? Dude, Patrick Henry is a big name if you read him. Yeah. And there are a number of people that fought it. Um, How do I make a deal with corruption? Uh, do you have an anti-corruption agency? We have an anti-corruption agency, yes, it's called the American people. Uh, we do have that kind of agency, so that's our yeah, We don't have an anti-corruption agency. If we had an anti-corruption agency in America, a federal government agency, it would be corrupted. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, with regards to the story you mentioned about, I have one, one question, uh, the sh shooting story. Uh, the fifth amendment of the Bill of Rights said, said that, uh, here is the Bill of Rights, nor be deprived of life without due pr process of law. Yes. Yeah. So my question is, in eyes of due process of law that declared by the, this uh, Bill of Rights, uh, um, what should officers uh, to do? What sh should police officers to do before shooting someone they suspect? Uh, when the police, when are the police officers uh, authorized to shoot someone? Well, here's the question: Is what should policemen do before they shoot somebody? Yeah. Well. Uh, it's a long train back, let me say this. Um, the way policemen are trained today is much different than they were trained, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago. Many policemen are, tra are trained by military types today. Uh, you'd have to go back to the training. Uh, in fact, there was a local policeman here, a really good guy, who came to talk. He taught in the police academies. He said, John, it's so military now. Everything is bang, bang, shoot, shoot. And the police in this country are trained in what's called the worst case scenario, which is when they're facing you, you could be the worst criminal in the world. Well, they didn't used to do that in America. Uh, also, he taught the Fourth Amendment in the police academies. And you know what they called him? The anti-cop. Because he taught the Fourth Amendment. But you'd have to go back and change the training in this country. And there's some good policemen that want to do that. However, the police unions in this country are so powerful. They shoot all that down, man. The words shoot. They do shoot it down. How about one more question? Yeah, yeah, that's right. One more question. Somebody have it. Uh, I've been trying to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so it almost feels like it's getting harder and harder to have a meaningful conversation. And there's always someone offended when we are oh, yes. having a meaningful conversation. It's by definition. And from your expertise, how do you have such a controversial and meaningful conversation while offending someone? And be still How do you, I uh, guess, have a meaningful conversation today without offending somebody or have a civil conversation? <laughs> it's going to be very difficult because the way things are being taught in the country, young people, uh, they're not being taught that there's many sides to an issue. They're being taught that there's one side to an issue. Uh, I've actually had situations in schools where, okay, uh, Give you an example. People wear sometimes 
Founding Fathers t-shirts in the country, in this country, and the Founding Fathers have their muskets. They've actually isolated kids in rooms, and other kids are, are upset with them because they have this rifle and all that. Uh, we had one case where they isolated a kid in a room, a young guy who was in high school, because he was wearing a Founding Fathers with a gun. We won the case. You know how we won the case? Because in the room they isolated him in the school, behind him was an army recruiting poster with a guy charging with a gun. And we pointed out to the judge, he said, well, that's nuts. So we won the case. But the point is, and I've told uh, uh, public school teachers I've talked to, I said, have debates today over these issues. Just don't round somebody up. Okay? Have debates. Make the kids start debating these issues without screaming and yelling at one another. It has to start in the education system, and we're not doing that. I mean, I, I everybody's offended by everything today, and, and used to I could have a conversation with people, but it's very difficult to have a. Like I said, I see people out in front of buildings. I watched them, I watched a couple of videos today. People punching each other out on the streets in America. They're doing it all more and more. And what I'm saying is, what we need is not just civility, but we need to recognize that free speech can only flourish if it's peaceful and that we're debating things. And we can walk away from somebody without punching them out. But the way America's going right now, if that doesn't slow down, uh, we're going to become so divisive that I'm afraid that what's going to rise up in uh, power in this country could be awful. But anyway. Well, thank you. The Rutherford Institute is doing its part to push back against the police state and make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. But we can't fight these battles alone. To join the resistance, visit our website at www.rutherford.org and check out our library of thought-provoking commentaries, legal resources, and so much more. Subscribe to our email alerts and I will send you my weekly commentary, Rutherford press alerts, and a weekly rundown of pertinent headlines and news articles to keep you apprised of the growing threats to our freedoms. And finally, if you are able, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Rutherford Institute by again visiting us online at www.rutherford.org or donate using PayPal. Your donation allows the Rutherford Institute to push back against the government's power grabs, corruption, and ongoing assaults on the Constitution. Together, we can make America free again.